0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Hascast, made on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. The Hascast is a podcast where we explore the power of humanities, arts and social sciences research in Australia and around the world. I'm your host, Damien O'Mara, and in today's episode, I'm joined by David McAuliffe. David is a PhD candidate at RMIT University in Australia. He has over 20 years experience as a consultant in marketing communication, social marketing and public relations. David's research explores the intersection between social marketing and video games in engaging young people in healthier behaviours. Specifically, David's PhD investigates how online games and related activities such as game streaming and esports can be used to positively influence the health behaviours of emerging adults. That is, those aged 18 to 25. David recently published an article in the Journal of Social Marketing titled Emerging Adult Gamers and Their Diet, a socio-ecological approach to improve health behaviour. And that's the topic of discussion for today. Thank you for joining me on the Hascast, and welcome.
1: Thank you, Damon, and good to good to be here. Thank you for chatting to me about my research.
0: I mean, it's it's really awesome to have you with us, uh, and. I wanted to talk to you today about one of your recent publications, Emerging Adult Gamers and Their Diet, A Socio-Ecological Approach to Improve Health Behaviour, which you published in the Journal of Social Marketing, but it forms part of your PhD by publication. And so I thought a really good place to start is, could you tell us a bit about your PhD?
1: Yeah, so um, I, can, I can start off, um, I might start off with, uh, for those of you who are not um, aware of what um, what social marketing is and um, maybe a, a new concept to to some people um, social marketing is essentially an um, an approach that is used to um, essentially uh, develop activities that are aimed at doing social good so which it, it looks at taking uh, those elements of marketing that we know um, have a really strong theoretical basis in being able to change our behaviours to buy products, consume goods, use serv- use services, and how do we actually twist that to uh, to something that is uh, for the benefit of individuals and society as a whole? And it's usually done around things like health behaviour change, um, environmental behaviour, things like think, think of things like uh, reducing road trauma. And things that are social, social good. A really good example I like to think of in explaining um, social marketing is uh, you know you think about the four P's of marketing: you know, product, place, promotion, price. And then you think about how smoking um, campaign anti smoking campaigns uh, or anti anti smoking social marketing work has changed that. You know the product they've put in legislation around um, label anti smoking labelling on cigarettes place they've um, uh, legislation around restrictions on place of sale and how you can advertise the promotion obviously the anti-smoking campaigns and then the price element is taxes on uh, that increase the cost of tobacco. so it's really um, you know, the simple way is it's doing marketing for good rather than evil <laughs> uh, essentially. With with that in mind, my my PhD um, actually looks at um, the emerging – it's not really emerging because esports and online games have been with us for a while, um, but they're starting to be used as a marketing channel um, increasingly. Uh, Brands are finding that they're not um, able to reach um, young people through traditional means um, anymore, so they're using – they're using online games and esports, which is competitive um, gaming, to market their products um, to um, to young people. So my PhD looks at the social marketing angle of, uh, um, on that. If it is being used by marketers to sell products um, to young people, can we actually use it to help change their behaviours? And I'm specifically focusing around uh, around health behaviours and what are um, the potential applications for social marketing to use online games and uh, and esports to to change the health behaviours of young people.
0: It's really interesting because you're, the way you, what you're talking about here is that it's an interdisciplinary approach to sort of media and communications research. We're looking at health and nutrition, and we're looking at behavioural sciences. Uh, But media and communication is sort of at the centre of your PhD and it's it's bringing these other fields in and, I guess, complementing them, giving them a way to communicate and to have an impact. Can you talk to me about how you see media and communications as a contributor to these other disciplines?
1: yeah definitely the um uh, so uh, I use a theory as a basis for my research which is um, uh, which is based on the socio-ecological theories of um, of behavior change and uh, and I'll tell you how medium communication fits into that and kind of puts the stream together what socio ecological um, theories state or what they posit is that an individual's behavior is actually influenced by uh, by a range of factors, and they're, influ- they're influenced by individuals they engage with, organisations. <laughs> that they engage with, um, as well as the environments um, around them. And for me, I find, and I've used that as a basis um, for my PhD and what I've done as part of my um, my broader PhD um, research is actually mapped, those the ecological map for, um, for emerging adults um, and how they interact with games and the organisations and the people that they interact when they play, when they play play online games and media communications uh, is really a great a great con- connector and it, and it's a um, media communications actually plays a big role in how influence actually spreads within uh, this um this ego ecology. So for example, if I relate this back to my research and, um, dietary, dietary health, you know, in health sciences research, we know that emerging adults uh, are really influenced, um, in a whole lot by, uh, by their friends or their peers when it comes to, um, dietary behavior. So what their friends are doing, what their friends are eating, whether their friends exercise that, um, that really influences what they what they do. In my research, I found that that influence um, is not just with friends that they meet physically, but also friends that they meet virtually. They might be uh, on um, streams watching uh, their friends play, they're interacting with them on um, on Discord. And what my research uh, is actually finding is that that is as much of an influence. Um, <clears throat> And seeing you know what they're posting on social media, you know what they're doing on a on a stream. The amount that people end up eating while while they're on stream is actually um, quite quite fascinating. That influences people people as as well. Um, And and it also happens, I think, from a from a uh, from a broad perspective um, as well when people are looking at things like um, content creators, um, streamers, um, and some of the some of the um, bigger bigger influences that people are interacting with on a day-to-day basis while they're, while they're playing games uh, as well.
0: I, I feel like you're segueing perfectly into the paper itself. And my next question was to ask you about why, because this is set up in the paper, why the use of food and drink marketing in online gaming channels is, is really important for social marketers. Although I do feel like you've kind of set that up already. Did you want to add anything to that before we look at, at how you went about your study?
1: Yeah. Um, look, I, I will add. I will add um, something to to that. I think what I found and why why I really wanted to look into uh, into gaming. And why it's important to you to look at it from a food and drink perspective is that I found, I I found a really, really big gap um, when I was doing my initial literature review um, and and a really big disconnect between how much People actually use games and and play games, and um, how they're actually being used from a social a social marketing perspective. So you barely see any um, any social marketing in um, in online games or esports um, at the moment. It's an area that's uh, really not used um, at all. But if you think about it from a media media channel, and you look at some of the stats um, for um, even within Australia, um, the use of online online games actually rivals general social media use, is more than TV, is more than listening to to music. Uh, the latest stats um, for 18 to 25-year-olds um, show that uh, 67% of um, emerging adults uh, play games for an average of 87 minutes per day um so if you think about that from a media channel perspective they're they're consuming this uh this, um these channels are, uh, so much more than many other media channels out there so why would we not look at that from a uh, from a from a marketing perspective just like we would uh, be looking at uh, radio at tv at social media um as part as part of our campaigns and part of our um as uh, uh, part of our marketing activity, and why I really wanted to, um, I guess, focus on that area of of food, and we'll get into into it when we talk about the the paper. Is that what's happening currently? Is the narrative around food and drink within these spaces is a bit skewed? Because what you're seeing is you're seeing a whole lot of marketing that's going through these channels by. Energy drinks, fast food, bubble tea, um, you know, pizza, chips, you know, all uh, all of the bad uh, bad stuff. But you're not getting those balancing uh, balancing messages in there because there there actually um, isn't any social marketing happening within these spaces.
0: Well, I mean, this is a perfect segue into the the next question of. of... That your study does focus on these two groups of respondents so the early adult gamers aged 18 to 25 that you listed before and also who you discussed in in the setup to this the online gaming industry professionals those influencers, those people working in the industry so could you tell me a bit about why you chose these groups and, and how you went about engaging them to kind of investigate the questions you wanted to answer
1: yeah, definitely. So uh, the reason I chose those two two groups, the the research that I've conducted, my whole uh, PhD is exploratory research because there there hasn't been um, much work uh, much work in social marketing within online games and esports. So I really wanted to to um, use it as an opportunity to one understand this field um, a bit better and understand how marketing actually works works within uh, within um, this field and how it could potentially be used for um, social marketing so I started off with industry industry professionals and I wanted to Yes, really start to get get to know the industry, start to get to know some of the organisations. So I spoke to um, uh, people who ran industry associations, um, coaches who worked for teams. Um, I had some international interviews as, as well. I spoke with a couple of... Um, People who specifically work in nutrition uh, for esports um, professionals. Um, uh, I spoke with organisations who um, organise esports esports events um, that really target um, young people as well to start to really un- understand one how. Um, how the industry operates, how sponsorships work within uh, uh, within um, the ind- esports the industry, and also how, um, from a social marketing perspective, that can actually work. But I also wanted to, as a part of this, and I was very clear with um, uh, um, while I was doing my PhD with my supervisors on this. Um, I always wanted to talk to um, uh, emerging adults as a part of my research and make sure that their voices were in, included. Um, you know, I'm out of the age range um, that I am investigating and even if um, if I was, I've always been a big believer that you, know, you shouldn't be doing research about a group of people without actually talking to um to that group of people, um, as well. So I really wanted to make sure that I capture, um, some of the voices of, um, emerging adult gamers. and start to get their perspective on, on uh, food. So I, when I, when I spoke to them, I spoke to them about really their gaming habits and how the gaming habits, um, interact with, uh, with their food con- consumption, but then also their interactions with, um, With influences within within gaming, you know, do they watch streams? Do they see advertising? Um, What are some of the interactions that they have while they're while they're gaming? You know that you uh, that they can relate back to their food consumption. I'll give you I'll give you an an example uh, of one I spoke to one gamer who regularly plays with um, uh, plays with a group. uh, she plays call Call of Duty and a lot of the first person um uh, shooter games um and plays quite regularly with some friends who are based um in the military in the in the US. And she was telling me that um she's realized and you know uh, the interview uh, on this topic actually made her realise that she has changed her um eating patterns to match. Um the people that she plays with so when they break for dinner even though it's not dinner time for her she will break and have um have dinner um as well so it's things like that that um uh, where you can see some of the impact that is that is happening from the interactions that they're having uh, within within games
0: it, it's it's interesting and this is something this is something that stood out to me from the paper is that there is this real sense of kind of community building that occurs and part of that is kind of around these rituals of, of you know the, having dinner together but it's in a virtual uh, setting and it's you know across time zones and it's something that you would see if people were playing sport together in the you know in in real life Uh not that online isn't real life anymore um, but you'd see people doing that together and they'd be experiencing these rituals and they're kind of adapting those rituals around something like dinner time to this different kind of community, a community in a different format and a different venue than what we're used to. Esports prize pool record was just broken again Sunday, both set and held by Ti. And there's still time All for the All right, everybody, let's
1: go. We are ready for some tournament action over here in Valorant. And at this point, we are looking at the match between
0: Invisible. But before I move on to my next question, I did want to just because I feel like people will be asking. You, know, you described the professional side of this industry and coaches and nutritionists and professional gamers and it is it's an industry that i think a lot of people are getting more and more awareness of that there is this kind of elite esports uh industry out there but just how big is it how big is it that people have coaches and nutritionists and there are teams and there's this kind of what we what we would expect around an elite football team surrounding now elite e-gamers
1: it is it is a big industry and it is growing, but that growth is dependent on the region. Um, so, um, uh, so the biggest markets uh, are in Asia, Europe, and the US. And you'll find you know the the bigger teams, uh, the bigger teams in those in those markets, uh, you know, will have. Um, you know, team houses where um, where um, the team, the majority of the team um, live at and, you know, they will have coaches and nutritionists. Um, uh, but that is really at the elite level. And uh, what you'll find is that there's then a whole lot of teams under under, under that um, who are not at that level and don't have that level of support and support um, and especially in somewhere like um like Australia or Oceania, one of my chapters in my PhD actually looks at um at esports um through a history of, of esports throughout um Throughout Oceania, and the market in um, in Oceania is is so small that we actually don't have, and a lot of the bigger teams do not survive because there isn't the there isn't the funding there, there isn't the size, and there isn't the audience size to actually support that. So, uh, a lot of the teams within Australia, for example, tend to be feeders into the larger markets. In the in the US, players will kind of cut their, their teeth on. Um, Playing with with Australian uh, teams, then uh, they'll get contracts in the US or in Asia or in in Europe, and um, and head there. So that that market size really varies. But the, the thing to also keep in mind as well, you know, just like traditional sport, the elite level is a very small part. At the top, it gets uh, uh, it, Um, gets a lot of audience a lot of people see see that but there's a whole uh, a much bigger layer underneath of people who play in amateur tournaments and um uh, and amateur leagues or just play for fun who are not part of that professional element and one of the things and one of the um the findings from my research is that a lot of the um, kind of performance and health things that happen at the elite level, um, that you know some of the professional teams know increases performance and helps um, performance, um, doesn't doesn't ever get communicated down to the casual gamer and the um, and people playing in in amateur leagues who you know who will think that the. You know the way to get better is just to be grinding for um, you know twenty hours a day with no sleep, drinking Red Bull. Um, whereas the elite players know that they need to get good sleep, they need to be drinking water, and they need to be eating, eating eating well. So there's a mismatch between you know what performance it actually is at the elite level and what is then actually seen. And and media communication I think plays a plays a very big role in bridging that gap.
0: And I suppose that's why it's so important that your research looked at both the the kind of elite level and the the eighteen to twenty five year old emerging adult player as well. Um, you you touched exactly. on exactly. You touched on your your findings, and I'd love to know a bit more about them. Can you talk me through some of the key themes that are coming out, in addition to that, those ones that you've already mentioned.
1: Yeah, definitely. There's um, uh, so um, I, I'll talk about two um, two probably big elements um, from my from my research that um, that came out. The the big one in this paper, which was a thread throughout my my research, um, my PhD research, and kind of kept surfacing, is that there is a massive food culture problem within gaming the perception of food within the gaming community is is quite is quite a quite a bad a bad one and a bad stereotype around what gamers should be should be eating and what gamers relationship is with food and it was really really interesting that i asked um Every single participant, whether they were an, um, a professional um, or a um, or a gamer, I asked them the same question: What's the first thing that comes into your head uh, when I say the word gamers and food? And all of them gave me the exact same answer. They said someone who's um, uh, male. Overweight, living in the basement of their mum's uh, mum's place, um, doesn't see any sunlight, um, is eats pizza, drinks soft drinks or energy energy drinks, and that's the the, the perception um, that is placed around uh, around gamers and food. And from if I go back to um, the um, the the theory that's. A kind of an influence that kind of goes over um all of the all of the activities that tend to happen around food in in this space and and it was funny to see that um you know while most people that i that I spoke to actually said, well actually you know that's what i that's what I think about, but that's actually not not me when you got into their habits um at, around food there were some elements of that perception that came through so you know a good example is people will talk about you know when they, they'll they talk about you know going to um uh um, going to play games with friends or going to have a gaming session at a friend's house and say so what what do you um what do you eat or what type of food is usually there and uh "Oh, it's usually soft drinks pizza you know um, nibbles party, party food is what we' we'll, what what we'll always always have same with going into um uh, gaming gaming events, you know, people will talk about, you know, the the food options that are always there are always the stereotypical foods for gamers. There's always a stand with giving away free energy drinks. There has to be a pizza stall. Um, you know, all of those types of foods kind of all um, all tend to come into come into play, and that seems to be a common a common theme uh, within. Within the research, the other element um, which I think plays into that food culture as well, uh, which was a big finding in my research, is how sponsorships actually interact um, within, especially within um, esports, and. What some of the industry um, professionals were talking to me about was that uh, with esports being such an emerging industry, and in most countries, um, uh, you know, esports is not recognised as a as a sport, doesn't have much regulation, doesn't have much government funding. So where um, where they get the majority of their funding and their money is through sponsorship, and who's got the most the, the most money, it's the fast food brands, it's the um, uh, the food food industry, the energy drink industry. So, what tends to uh, to happen, and uh, this is potentially creating a bit of a power imbalance in the industry, is that you've got uh, a lot of these brands who are coming in with a whole lot of a whole lot of money. Um, and uh, esports um, organizations and teams and players are taking them because one, they need the money and two, it's seen as a status symbol, having a sponsorship logo, you know, from you know, someone like Red Bull, um, you know, a big fast food chain like McDonald's is seen as a as a status symbol and i heard a number of times um uh this same story being played out that a lot of elite players you know they'll be they'll be sponsored for example by an energy drink and their contracts um will say that every time they are on camera they call it the "can in hand um clause so the every time they are on camera they need to have a um uh, the product within shot and they need to be seen to be drinking uh, the product so what they will do is before an, uh, an esports tournament or before they get on live on stream they will open up a can or a bottle of whatever they're drinking tip it out replace it with uh, replace it with water um and so you know, they're drinking water but they're fulfilling their sponsorship obligations but what isn't happening in that in that scenario is that they're not um kind of considering what impact is that having on the audience actually actually watching the the up and, go, up and coming gamer who is you know looking at um a professional esports player and trying to model model them uh, you know they're not noticing that they're actually drinking drinking water. They're thinking, well actually if they're drinking an energy drink, uh sports or a sports drink, then I should be drinking that so I can be like them. Uh, so those those elements around um, uh the power that brands through sponsorship have within um Within the gaming um, eco, ecosystem, did come out um, a fair bit in in my research and kind of, and and kind of merit merit quite a lot of further exploration from a social marketing perspective uh, as well.
0: I mean, it, it's it's so interesting to sort of hear that because my assumption as an outsider who watches some streamers and and you know has a Twitch account when I see those big players, I assumed that they were drinking what was on the label. And so that might not be the case. And that that's a very interesting insight into sort of the ways that these industries work, which is probably nothing new. Like sponsorships have existed for a long time and, you know, an elite sports team being sponsored by a fast food chain doesn't mean they're all eating that fast food chain. (laughs) You know, their, their diets are highly managed, very systematized and, not uh, necessarily matching the the branding that goes on the back of their jerseys.
1: Yeah, exactly, and I think, in, and probably the big theme that's um, that's come out of this in my overall PhD research is I think there's a there's a recognition that needs to happen within uh, within the esports industry that the players within that industry and the, uh, have uh, and a lot of the content the content creators have actually moved past uh, just influencing about the games themselves, and you know a lot of um, uh, a lot of people who watch uh, streams. You know, we'll talk about you know the reason that people people stream the people uh, reason people watch um, gaming streams is they're interested in the games. They want to uh, look at gaming um, game tactics. Uh, they want to. Um, <laughs> see um, kind of the outcomes of uh, uh, of different parts of games that they haven't ex- explored uh, as yet but i think what this research is showing is that yes that, that is still the primary purpose that people watch streams but there's other influences um, that are now coming in these um, influences have, have become uh, so, so big Um, that uh, their influence is moving past the arena of gaming and is now um, potentially starting to impact other areas of their viewers' lives, like food consumption, like um, physical activity and health.
0: So what would you like to see or what do you see as the potential impacts of your study for both those who are researching social marketing but also those working in the the social marketing industry?
1: Um, so i think there 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 are a lot of areas of um potential research to to go from here as i mentioned before this you know, my research was exploratory um research and while um i did see um i did, I did see some impacts between um uh between the things like watching streams or watching uh, players and or interacting with games and things like food cons- consumption, then needs to be more um, research out there to actually identify those impacts and uh, and identify the causality of. Of those impacts from a research perspective um, you know I'd like to see um you know some further studies done uh, looking at um, that impact of um, or that influence that um, esports organizations um, and uh, and especially those professional um, professional players and content content creators which are kind of the big faces of um of the industry and what that actually means in terms of their influence over over food. And there's some really um, uh, strong potential for future research. I think there's some really um, um, strong potential in terms of co-designing some uh, and researching some inter- interventions around how you might look at um, at changing some of those uh, some of those perceptions, especially when it when we look at that big overarching perception of the relationship between gamers and food. Um, I think there's work that needs to be done to better understand that and understand how uh, from a social marketing perspective we can uh, we can challenge that and change that uh, as well. But then I think from a, a social marketing perspective, I think probably the, the easiest element and the thing that I wanted to achieve from this research was really to demystify the space. I think one of the reasons that uh, gaming is not used um, so much in in social, social marketing is that a lot of social marketers don't understand the place, the, the space. They know Um, young people play games, but they don't understand the, the gaming ecosystem well enough to say, okay, how can we actually tackle it, tackle it from a social marketing perspective? And I hope my research gives a little bit of an insight into how the, how the industry work, because I think there's, there's potentials um, from my research for social marketers to be working with things uh, that with, uh, with organizations like, um, you know the uh, the governing bodies for um, esports um, within different countries to be working with different teams to be looking at even things behind the scenes like you know setting up. Uh, policies around um around sponsorship um looking at health and health initiatives for um players looking at uh, potential um health initiative health initiatives for um uh, for gamers and how you actually get um a uh, sports players content creators actually involved in some of those um some of those initiatives to balance um uh, that narrative that's that out there within the uh, within the gaming ecosystem about food, and also to look at um, the space from uh, uh, from a sponsorship perspective as well. From uh, social marketing, we know that there are campaigns that do happen out there that are targeting young people. They should be looking at, at gaming and trying to balance some of the narratives that are that are out there within that space. So I I do hope that social marketers will we'll um, use it to learn a little bit more um, about the industry and start to use it.
0: I, I, I think that's a, a really great place for us to wrap up on the, that there's, I mean, there's just a lot of potential. This paper is setting up a lot of avenues for people to do further research, but it's also opening the door and maybe hopefully giving social marketers permission to start looking at online gaming as a channel and the the influences in that space and the potential for sponsorships as a channel to, start getting their work and, and reaching the people that they want to reach. David, I want to say a huge thank you for coming on the Hascast. Uh, anyone who wants to read your paper, it's called Emerging Adult Gamers and Their Diet, A Socio-Ecological Approach to Improve Health Behaviour, and it's published in the Journal of Social Marketing. I will link to this in the show notes, and I'd encourage everyone to, to look it up and read the paper. Cite it widely, do further research if you're a social marketer, add it into your reports to your superiors to tell them we should be advertising in gaming and, and getting messages out there. But thank you so much for taking part.
1: Thank you, Damien, and thank you for um, talking to me about my research.
0: The Hascast is supported by Swinburne University's School of Social Sciences, Media, Film, and Education. Produced by me, Damien O'Mara, Kirsten Ambrons, and Dr. Carolyn Beasley. Follow us on Twitter, now called X, at SwinHassCast, or you can email us at swinburnhascast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you for joining me for this week's Hascast. and until next time...